and welcome back to our next episode of Big Data Talks, in which we have conversations with industry experts about the way in which data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence are changing the way we live. My name is Jan Willem Middelberg, and I will be your host today. I'm the author of the Enterprise Big Data Framework, which is hosting this series of Big Data Talks. You can always watch back this recording on the YouTube platform, Apple Podcasts, and nowadays on Spotify. Today, I have the great pleasure to welcome Bital Kaitan, a senior cloud engineer at CVS Health based in Dallas, Texas. CVS Health is a prominent Fortune 4 healthcare provider in the United States. With more than 12 years of experience, Bital has played a pivotal role in driving cloud data-driven initiatives using versatile technology stacks from Google Cloud, Teradata, Bigdoop, Hadoop, Spark, Scala, and Python. Before his tenure at CVS, Bittel spent eight years at Tata Consultancy Services, Asia's largest IT company as a data engineer, where he collaborated with Fortune 500 companies like Walmart, Cigna Healthcare, the Vita Kidney Care, and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals. Bittel holds a bachelor degree in computer science engineering from West Bengal University, and he is an esteemed member of different technology organizations around the world. Additionally, Bittel is very active on social media, has a lot of followers on LinkedIn, and that's definitely something that we're going to talk about today. Bittel, it's a really a pleasure to welcome you on Big Data Talks. I really look forward to talking to you. Hey, hey thank you, Jan. Thank you so very much. Good. Let me uh, quickly start and fire off. Um, you know that in this show, we kind of take a deep dive into people's careers. How did they get to where they are today? So uh, can you tell us a little bit around your journey on how you became a CVS Health Senior Cloud Data Engineer? And for mm -hmm. people who have no idea what, the, what cloud engineering is, just also explain us a little bit around what that mm -hmm. is. So firstly, I would thank you for inviting me to this podcast and, you know, giving me an opportunity to speak about myself, my work and my journey. And uh, absolutely big thanks for this generous and kind introduction. Okay. <clears throat> so I started with CVS around five and a half years back uh, in July 2018. So prior to that, like, I, like you said, I was with TCS. It's an Asia's largest company, uh, IT services company. So I was that point of time working on Hadoop Spark Big Data and then uh, CVS was having an initiative to move their data warehouse into a data lake. So okay. they have it on Teradata. So they were moving it to Hadoop. So before I go deeper, I would like to call out that, you know, it's I, I whatever I'm speaking is has nothing to do with my employer. The views are my own and everything, you know, has nothing to do with my employer. Absolutely. So, when I got hired, I was helping them migrate from Teradata to Hadoop Spark. And eventually in 2020, the enterprise decided to move to cloud. Okay. And we have a multi-cloud approach where half of the company is on Microsoft Azure and half of it is in uh, Google Cloud. I am in a division which is on Google Cloud. Okay. And my expertise certification uh, last three to three years have been mostly on Google Cloud. So this is how I got, I, I consider myself very lucky to be a part of a Fortune 4 organization. And CVS Health is the leading healthcare company in, in United States. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, as, as we discussed before, I lived in the US mm -hmm. for a while. Uh, and there's absolutely no way you can get around CVS. Uh, they're literally <laughs> so, on the corner of every street nowadays. 
Yeah, so post-COVID, if everybody knows CVS, one-third of the population of United States visit us every year. So that's that's the power wow. of CVS. Yeah, so yeah, that's... so that's how from 2020, from a data engineer, I became a cloud data engineer because migrating to cloud, creating pipelines on cloud started two, three years back. Yeah, so we're, we're absolutely going to dive a little bit deeper into that because I'm sure. very interested to learn a little bit more around that. And mm -hmm. also for, from a CVS point of view, if you, if you mentioned those numbers, I can only start to imagine the amount of data that that generates on a daily basis. It must be mm -hmm. almost incomprehensible in terms of the numbers. So <laughs> although I cannot give you the real numbers, but I would just give you one heads up that we have 110 million combined patient members and wow. we have various touch point, insurance, claims, pharmacy, benefit management, pharmacy. So at a normal day, if I'm dealing with a table, its size could vary from 4 GB to 4 PB. Okay. So that's what I like to call it, 4 GB to 4 PB. Wow. That's a, an almost incomprehensible uh, amount of data. Yep. So uh, you just mentioned that you are, um, I would say, skilled and I would say um, uh, leading in the data engineering field. And mm -hmm. um, there's always a, a lot of talk these days, especially uh, if you open up any website, it's always around data science, data engineering and data analysis. Where does the role of a data engineer differ from that of a data scientist, for example? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. So. See, these three roles, they coexist. You cannot have a company just have data engineers and not have data science, data analyst. It's like, you know, and you, the, the other way around as well, you cannot have a data analyst and without having a data engineer. Mm -hmm. So any data-driven company or a data-driven project has to have these three, data analyst, or some people like to call them data analytics, professional data analytics engineer, data engineer, and data science. So as a data engineer, I would say, I would consider data analysts, my customers and data scientists as my customers. So That's a very good at description. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, if I split them, okay. So pre 2020 or pre COVID, our majority of the customers were data analysts. Okay. We would create pipelines on a data platform, be it a data warehouse, data lake, and the data analysts used to consume that data or the BI analysts would consume that data, create reports or derive some basic insights. Post-COVID and with, you know, the more of AI machine learning DS, our most of the customers are data scientists with, with whom we collaborate, okay? And our job primarily is to give the right data in the right format with the right refresh. That's it. A data scientist um, or data analyst if you have to create a report or be analyst, they would know the, you know, uh, the, the, the cosmetic part of that. But behind yeah. the scenes, we are the ones who get the data from the different sources to them. And we ensure that the data quality is good, refresh is good, and they can rely on something. So this uh, basically, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like completely, you know, uh, uh, making giving them raw data or sometimes aggregated data, that way they can do their magic or they can do their mm -hmm. science on that. That's very interesting. Could, could I say, if I kind of summarize that, that, mm -hmm. if, that, that the, if you say that data analysts and data scientists are your customers, that that is more, I would say, um, a business focus? 
whereas engineering is more on an IT focus. Would that be a way to, to differentiate? Uh, I would say both yes and no, because nowadays the structure is changing. When I say the structure is changing, people are working in an agile pod manner, where okay. if you're solving a business problem, a data science or a data analyst is tagged to that business problem, and he or she will rely on the data engineer for all the data activities, you know, getting them the data, and especially for POC, I would say, you know, be the exploratory, the first stage where, you know, they uh, decide to do something, they want to play around stuff. So doing one-time history loads and all those things, ensuring that what they are even planning can be done. We are the first ones to go ahead and, you know, create the pipelines. Yeah. So I would say without a data engineer, there, there's no data pipelines to, yeah, to, we, to we get actually started coexist, with. you know. And yeah. there is no point if I create a pipeline and nobody's consuming it. So if my data yeah. analyst or data science is not, scientist is not using it, I am kind of useless. And yeah, the other too. So um, we, we always try to go a little bit, bit more in depth. Uh, you mentioned mm -hmm, the word sure. data pipeline uh, a couple of times. Uh, for everyone who's completely unaware of that term. So what is a, what is a data pipeline exactly? How do you define that? Yeah. And so, also, how, how do you build something that is able to deal with that massive quantity of data that mm -hmm. you just talked about? That's a, that's a really relevant question. So, so data pipeline, the, the, the word pipeline, you know, I think it came into focus in the last four or five years. Okay. It always, the data workflow always existed. We had all the ETL jobs. We had all the, you know, transformations. We had all the ingestion frameworks, but recently what I see, you know, people are calling it pipelines. So when we say pipelines, because we are using a lot of coding Python earlier, five years, 10 years back. It used to be always, always SQL, SQL, SQL. You would use an Informatica, you would use a data stage or Ab Initio to get what you're doing now from a, just a structured format, file format using SQL, SQL, SQL. Yeah, now I remember the days. <laughs> SQL, Python, Scala. I mean, we, the, 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 the pipelines have become more complex, okay? We need to, so this data pipeline, uh, so when we, dis, so this is a very uh, broad question, I would say, you know, creating a data pipeline. So I would simply say, so data pipeline is nothing like your gas pipeline or water pipeline, okay? Uh, it has different kind of nodes and everything is driven by business need. Okay. So a business needs starts it, business needs ends it. So uh, does that mean that through that pipeline, you're ingesting data from various sources or do you mm -hmm. primarily try to focus around one source only? Um, how, how do you structure that? Okay. So for example, if I have a need, for example, today, my company, for example, they want to figure out which uh, touch points my customer is coming. Okay. I My company would have 10 different subsidiaries. Okay. Yeah. So I might go to one subsidiary company to pull the data. So there are different concepts, you know, you can pull the data, you can push the data. There are different concepts of ingestion in a pipeline. Okay, the first, very first step of a pipeline is to read the data from somewhere. Okay, yeah. that somewhere could be anything depending whether it's internal, external. For example, I'll very simple example, I would say, it's if it's within the company, we call it internal, outside the company, external. External yeah. being, you know, getting weather data, okay or getting uh, data via APIs for uh, Experian, you know, to figure out a credit score of a person, things like that. So that data, you know, we can pull via APIs, we can pull via flight files. 
similarly the beginning of pipeline can be can connect to a rdbms can connect to anything so it is not necessary in today's world to be a structured data set but it can be even unstructured it can be audio file nowadays you know so a lot of things um, what we talk about today 2023 existed 10 years back but those things were simpler limited file structures but now i think it has become pretty complex because of the variety of data that is being generated in you previously mentioned that you, when you moved to cvs that they started to build a, a data warehouse and, and transform that into a data lake mm -hmm. and if i relate that to the pipelines that you've been talking to do mm -hmm. you would you say that most of the pipelines are moving data into the data lake or is it the other way around do most of the pipelines extract data from the data lake okay so a data lake most of the pipelines would feed the data into the data lake okay yeah. but that is not the end of story okay we need to have consumers consuming that so what happens in any enterprise not just my company any enterprise what they would do is they would do all the heavy processing on the data lake and then there would be export jobs for example i might export a set of data to the customer's mobile app okay. that is one use case then if my report is running you know it's a batch report i would like to push it to the reporting you know application so if i'd say ingestion is the bulk part and consumption is the secondary yeah can i can imagine though that consumption is is starting to get more focused because customers are going to demand more mm -hmm. data and more data exchanges is is that correct yes but the only concern customers have when they demand data from a data lake is the quality of data okay yeah. they have been used to the data warehouse structures you know the data warehouse formatting everything so what they want is companies you know large enterprises they start building data lake but they end up building data warehouses because yeah. the reports that used to run that are running from 20 years okay so we have for example a report running from 2002 today if i want to migrate that report to a data lake or say for example cloud environment my customer would the first thing would want is i don't want the cosmetics i want the data to match okay no. so that is the biggest uh, thing i have seen that comes consumption is increasing and more so not by not just by the reporting community but by this all this ai ml use cases edge computing use cases and especially the digital impact that we have seen in covid where even 80 85 year old um, people are starting to use a mobile phone and they want their treatment or they want their stuff to be done digitally so all that data is kind of sometimes fed from your data lake directly that's very interesting um so so what you, what you mentioned and it really got my attention is obviously customers are going to be concerned around quality uh, formatting they might have completely different data structures or uh, work with different data structures than you would have internally Mm -hmm. um also the sources that you mentioned uh, let's let's again use the weather data that you uh, just just referenced that might also have a completely different format different structure so at an at an organization of the scale that you are working at it uh, probably does not get much larger than that in the world how do you deal with that um differences in formats structures um different ways that the data needs to be transported do you have kind of like a enterprise wide uniform way in which you deal with um this is the format that we use mm -hmm. and this is the 
the, the, the validation rules or specific sure. transformation that we are sure. using internally? How do you deal with that? Yeah. So I would say not just um, any large company with different departments and a company which is growing. For example, my company acquires a pharmacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That pharmacy might not be having the standards which I follow. Okay. They could be using a data collection, a database which my company might not have ever heard of. Uh, for example, yeah. no, uh, uh, it, they could still be on an Oracle 9.9 or something. I'm just giving a random example. Yeah, that's good so, Yeah, so what happens I'll, in the context of a data lake, what you do is you, when you're building a data lake, you first ensure that you get the data in the raw format. Whatever it is, it, if it's a DB2 system, it's a flat file, if it's a SQL server, whatever it is, you get that into... Uh, into your data lake. So their data lake also has different layers, you know, you know, raw layer, staging layer, processing layer, then the consumption layer. It depends on how it's designed. So first you bring all of them, you know, you bring the data in the raw layer as it is without, you know, doing any, um, any magic on that. Then you, what you do is you have certain enterprise standards. Okay. For example, today, if um, somebody's date of birth, a pretty simple, basic example, if the yeah. date of birth is not in the right format, okay, so we have a standard format where we transform the date of birth into a YYY hyphen DD MMY, things like that. Yeah. Same thing with address, okay, if the address is a nine digit zip code in US, we have five digits mandatory, and then sometimes we have additional four digits. So we had certain validation rules, you know, where if anything is coming up, we need to standardize that or we need to confirm that. Now, Where it could be as enterprise-wise, uh, sorry for interrupting, yes. but so whole CVS, no matter where the data yes, is going to have aim to do that. So the data is not always clean, okay? The data is not always structured. Whatever it comes, what we try to do is we have certain rules and that's what we implement in our pipelines, okay? Say, for example, somebody's gender, a gender field could be, if you have not defined it correctly, it could be, somebody could put it at single character, M, F, undefined, somebody could write male, Somebody could write it female. I mean, it, it's, it varies. So when a centralized data lake or a centralized cloud data warehouse is built, these are the things that, and it's not a one-time activity. It's a continuous iterative activity for any new source that comes in. So today, if my company acquires another pharmacy, okay, and we decide that, okay, they are on a system. Now we need to transform the, we ingest that data, we transform it. And then we make it available for processing all the business logic. And then we do reporting on top of it. Wow. So um, across the, all the different um, branches, this is the same. And as soon as you integrate, let's say, a new pharmacy, you're, you're going to transfer that as well. Yeah. So it, it makes me wonder, the standards that you just mentioned, is that based on, uh, do you follow some kind of international, let's say, ISO standard or a yeah. specific um, formatting that, that you've mm-hmm. embraced or adopted? Or is this something that kind of grew over time to say, well, now this is the CVS way of doing things? So there are two ways to look at it. One is we do have certain uh, standards that we have, learned over time, you know, 30, 40 years Mm -hmm. of journey, they have come up with the standard best practices for data integration or data transformation. But in certain cases where we need, our data needs to interact with data of another hospital or be it another pharmacy, 
Then we have certain healthcare specific interoperability uh, APIs and data structures that we need to follow. So this is yeah. where the basic difference come. You know, like I said, everything is business driven. Okay, if I know if I if I know that this data has to be exported out, then this data has to be in this format. If it if it's going to a pharmacy, then we have a separate contract and we send them into this format. So to answer you, we have both and. Uh, for internal systems, we kind of have figured out the best way after, you know, being so many years. And for exposing to the external world, we have the standards that has been defined by the healthcare industries. Uh, if, if, you re, if you read about fire, interoperability, HL7, HL5, you'll come to know more, more about healthcare standards. Okay, well, we're, we're definitely going to put the link uh, <laughs> uh, to that on the on word because we probably would need another hour to go into standards like that. Yeah. Um, let me, let me, uh, then move towards one of the things that you mentioned ar around the storage aspect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at the, at the start, you mentioned that those data pipelines are, uh, ultimately uh, used internally to come up into two cloud environments. Uh, you mentioned that you're, you have a multi-cloud, um, solution, uh, incorporated. Mm -hmm. If you think around a way, and it does not need to be CVS specifically, but suppose somebody's listening and says, well, I would like to also mm -hmm. upgrade or design um, a, a new data lake, and I would like to have that into a appropriate cloud solution. What, what would be your advice for choosing the, the most appropriate storage solution mm -hmm. in this day and age, or specifically uh, things that are going to be future-proof from yep. 2023 or onwards? So uh, I would say I would first go to public cloud. So if somebody is building something, the first approach in today's world, 2023 and onwards is cloud, cloud upwards and cloud onwards, I like to call that. And cloud since upwards and cloud onwards. That's a, okay. That might be the so, tagline for this uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's I like to call and more specifically, I'm into GCP. Like, you know, I love GCP because I have more hands on there. Every day morning when I log in, the GCP console is in front of my eyes. Okay, yeah. so I would um, go with, a, so there are various kinds of storages. The best part of cloud is they take care of all these things. Okay, if I need to dump four terabyte of data today, I have a S3 storage or, you know, GCS bucket S3 is in Amazon. Mm -hmm. I have a GCS bucket where I can, I just don't need to think I will first ingest that four terabyte and I'll dump it. Now I can keep that data four terabyte and then I can think about processing it later, how to process, how to split. So first thing is you need to determine what kind of storage you need. Okay, it's all use case driven. For example, a healthcare use case. Some of the data by law we need to archive for seven years. Okay. okay? So if I keep the same data in BigQuery, it could cost me more. I could come take it out, compress and keep it in my GCS buckets. And, you know, for a cold end storage, then I would save a lot of money on that. And yeah. data, of it doesn't, for small scale companies, it might not make a difference. But with the data quantity is in terabytes, petabytes, it makes a huge difference. Number one. Number two, what kind of analytics are you ex expecting to do? Okay. Uh, if, if you are planning to use analytics, then you have analytics specific data warehouse solutions, analytics solutions like BigQuery. Now yeah. you want to do your OLTP there. For example, a, a, a company, a small retailer might want to, you know, um, host their 
application on GCP, they would want to go with the Cloud SQL or Cloud Spanner approach. So we have different kinds of approach depending on what is the business use case. ML AI uh, use cases would be mostly focused around GCS as storage and BigQuery and the Vertex AI. Whereas if somebody wants to really focus on, you know, um, building things for mobile games or transactions and all, they can go for Bigtable. So there are help. With each passing day, all these public cloud vendors, they are competing with each other. They are improving their storage capabilities yeah. and coming up with more options. What I see, Could you know. I say that, that then storage is kind of use case specific um, yes. and that, yes. that there's not, not just one best solution, but it's going to yeah. be different depending right. on use case. See, uh, if I have audio data, like audio file, I cannot go and put that into a BigQuery um, you know, BigQuery table, I just, I can put in a GCS bucket. Okay. Hmm. So, uh, and a lot, lot depends on how you consume it as well. Okay. So you can go and put that, but if you're not able to consume, then there is of no use. And hmm. one thing I have seen in data-driven industry is not just getting the data. You need to define a life cycle that how long you need to retain that data. And for example, a lot of data needs to be encrypted. So certain cloud providers, they have what they call data at rest encryption. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the data. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, what, what is that? Yeah. So I will give in context from example, this solution was implemented by AWS last year, but BigQuery had this for a long time. So the data at rest, you know, when the data is lying in the database, it is always encrypted. Okay. So the, if you, um, if you Google that, you will see that GCP was one of the first ones which implemented data at rest encryption so data at motion when you're ingesting it or when you're sending it outside then you have to encrypt it separately but okay. with the keys you know google managed keys customer managed keys the data always in bigquery is encrypted that's what you know in gcs2 very interesting um if you look at that security aspect, because uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, the first thing you s just said is um, I would always recommend nowadays, 2023 and onwards, uh, cloud upwards and onwards, um, go for a public cloud environment. Um, there's still a lot of people that are concerned around security safety aspects mm -hmm. around that. Is that in this day and age, still an issue, um, the security aspects, do we still need to tackle that? Or do you say, you know, by this time, this security um, discussion around cloud mm -hmm. environments is basically over? That's a good question. So I would like to see on cloud, we have three different kinds of versions. Okay. Not versions, I would say implementations. One is hybrid cloud. Mm -hmm where people still keep some of their data in their private cloud, which is their own data centers. They send some to a public cloud. The second one being multi-cloud, people would say, okay, I would host some of my data in Azure, some of my data in GCP for various reasons. And the third one being completely public cloud to one vendor. Okay, now this concern regarding data is, not, uh, data security is not new. Okay, it's been in past, it's been in there. Otherwise, I believe all the companies would have been completely on cloud. Okay. Yeah, but I believe there are very few companies. I know Capital One is one of them, which is completely on cloud. Like their OLTP systems, OLAP systems, anything and everything is on cloud by AWS, I believe. But other companies, they still have a Hadoop implementation, 
they still are not completely into cloud okay mm-hmm. uh, so this is where i see the main difference and when i talk to people in the industry they have that concern that you know i am sending my private data to a public cloud how secure is that yeah. so if you see all this cloud vendors they have come up with industry specific apis i would say or solutions to you know address this fears so there are a lot of uh, you know uh, i would say yeah there are companies and there are certain uh, legal requirements as well where you cannot send data outside say a particular geography or you know each sure. country have their own limitations that is why people uh, if you see companies public cloud vendors like aws gcp they are creating more data centers in those geographies um where for example india asia where they have restrictions that certain data sets for example the government of india data set cannot move out of the india yeah. data center right same thing a government of malaysia would say that you know my data has to reside in malaysia so Absolutely. to address that there are many ways you can do it there are third party encryption masking providers where you implement their udfs and the data get masked and encrypted and um, even nowadays cloud vendors themselves are coming up with solutions even google has very good solutions for you know uh, data security yeah now it's it's always a fascinating discussion and and the reason i i kind of bring it up is because in the old days and with old days i mean let's say 7 8 years ago mm-hmm. i remember the the days that especially with customers the 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 security aspect was always the number one concern when people started to talk about no it is still especially in the industry is so driven like everybody in united states you have been to united states right anybody and everybody can go and sue anybody right so yeah, people correct. are so afraid that if my data gets leaked for example today today if my banking transactions get leaked from cloud for any reason okay yeah. uh, it was hacked then i would be sued the company can have you know the indi- individuals uh, any individual can go and sue a public and they could get you know millions of dollars in fine and we have seen this in past so yeah. cyber attacks and all these are actually a are still a concern and it all depends on the size of the organization and the industry would you say that the the i would say suing culture which is is very specific to the, the united states less in europe and also definitely less in asia pacific would you say that that's a driving force be, behind those security concerns uh maybe but i think it's more of the regulations that you know they have, especially in the healthcare industry there are a lot of regulations there are a lot of contracts that you know we for example a company like uh, any healthcare company would have signed with their customer okay that you, yeah. you take my insurance and your data is safe with me but yeah. then you want to upgrade to cloud you need to have their permission and then yeah. your client is not happy saying okay 5 years back you promised me that my data is safe with you and um, what i'm saying is actual i cannot tell the name of the clients or you know and yeah, yeah, sure. but this is what has happened in past with us as well like you know we know that this data if it needs to go to cloud it needs x number of approvals and uh, we need to convince them that this data is secure correct yeah so so the, what what always fascinates me in in that discussion is that the knowledge and capabilities that you need in order to keep that security to the latest standards uh, mm-hmm. especially given the cyber attacks that you just mentioned they are becoming more and more advanced the people who do this kind of work also become smarter it's more organized it's more uh, targeted so 
just to keep a team that is knowledgeable and up to date with all of those latest uh, um, attack patterns and, and uh, specific um, ways in which they could try to target your data. Mm -hmm. That alone takes investments in terms of the people, training, upskilling. So are we at the point where um, even if you're a large bank or insurance provider or pharmacy, that having the skills to secure that from a security perspective, mm -hmm. is it not just better to, to kind of hand that over to the Googles and the Amazons of this world that have that? massive capabilities and, and the teams that are able to, to safeguard that. So, so this is, an, again, an advantage of cloud, if you have the same, if yeah, properly correct. implemented security features, if yeah. somebody can prove that over five years I have had zero cybersecurity incidents, okay, that gives confidence if I am a CTO of a company, for example, if you come and say to me that five years in my public cloud, I have zero incidents of security, I would have more trust in you. So that is where it begins. But again, a lot of industry regulations around, you know, if you, the payment card industry, there are so many regulations. In healthcare, we have the, the PHI, in, uh, you know, regulations, PIA regulations. HIPAA drives a lot of things. On the banking side, you have SOCs for audit. So a lot of things um, are still, uh, what do I say? They are not very naive, but we are looking at maturity. We are still maturing with time. Yeah. So over time, hopefully, we'll get yeah. to a and higher level. We have level. actually many third-party uh, tools. I would say uh, Voltage is one. Um, so if you want to encrypt something, right, you have to hash it. So yeah. there are different kind of providers also that have come into this business over the last few years, knowing that these are the challenges that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So so let's talk about the future a little bit and especially mm -hmm. around uh, the trends that you are seeing. You're, you're very close to the fire, obviously. <laughs> How is uh, cloud um, changing in the next few years? And then also maybe specifically to to healthcare industry. Do you see any major developments coming your way for which you feel that organizations need to start preparing? Yeah. So firstly, cloud is going to be everywhere, not just healthcare industry. I think everybody is going to adopt. Um, reason being, it is going to make organizations more agile. Okay, the kind of yeah. cloud native services that are coming, okay. Uh, take for an example, Google Vertex AI. Okay, the kind of offerings it has to assist an AI ML engineer. Okay, that is unparalleled, number one. Number two, the ease of doing, okay. Earlier, if I had to do train some model or do stuff like, you know, machine learning, data science. I had to write a C Python code, take flat yeah. files. I can do the same thing on my already existing data in BigQuery. Okay, so yeah. BigQuery is an analytics appliance or analytics data warehouse with ML capabilities. So mm -hmm. I can in train models, I can, you know, implement those models on a BigQuery data set itself, which is in an RDBMS format. So the more the cloud offerings come into picture, okay, the more industries are going to adopt it. Now, coming specifically to healthcare, okay. So healthcare has its own set of problems in US because it's <laughs> a lot of that, because the federal government here is a big payer, you know, they pay for yeah. the Medicaid, Medicare services. So they drive a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things in decision making. That's number one. Number two is 
the services, okay, the cloud services, not just limited to data engineering, the other components as well. Mm-hmm. So what they are, what all cloud providers are doing, they are getting into the healthcare services. They want to provide, uh, you know, services which will help the healthcare industries. Like you can see all this MLAI services. We are seeing a lot of edge computing also. You know, uh, where um, you can, uh, you can, you know, uh, when you are taking the blood pressure of the patient, you can immediately, you know, tell whether this person, you know, is hypertensive or not, and what medication can be given. Similarly, um, uh, during the immediate diagnosis to predict, okay, uh, whether, you know, this person can, uh, this medication will interfere or not. So there are a lot of use cases, but these are mostly driven by, I would say, the data underneath that. It's it's a very interesting thing that you're bringing up. So um, if, if you take that example about hypertension or making some kind of a predictive model that that kind of predicts if there is mm-hmm. a certain disease, my mind starts wondering, um, does that mean that the people involved with IT, like engineers like yourself or other more uh, data scientists, basically means that they also need to start to obtain business knowledge and understand, you know, uh, what, what are the effects mm-hmm. of specific medicines on specific diseases. So means that from a, um, a knowledge point of view, they should become involved more with the, the medicine part and the, the, um, the doctor's no- uh, traditional knowledge around how diseases operate and, and function. Absolutely. Do you not. see that as a trend that we no, like, need to get more? Not. But okay. as a data guy, data engineer, I would say if you know the business, if you know the customer, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the interview, you asked me, right, how serious cloud data engineer happened. So because I had worked for my TCS clients in the past, which were all U.S. healthcare giants. So I know how the U.S. healthcare industry works. And okay. anybody and everybody who is in U.S. and has gone to any other part of the world would know that this healthcare industry is so different than the rest of the world. It's so expensive. Mm-hmm. It's so bureaucratic. So, and there are a lot of uh, standards to it. So what would happen is, I would say if I know the business well, if I know the logic, you know how, when I when I go and talk to a pharmacist, I, I try to know their pain points. Okay. And mm-hmm. when I'm designing a system, it helps me if I know the domain. So that data model, whenever you build a data model, in the data engineering pipeline, we have several steps. Data modeling is also one of them where you have to create the target table model, physical model, logical model. That is yeah. where it helps me. And if I can talk a language, if my pharmacist is saying, hey, Bital, this report is not giving me the, medic- uh, the, the revenue for or something like, you know, for this NDC. If I know an NDC means national drug code, or mm-hmm. if I if I if I see a report where it says NPI is blank, if I know NPI stands for National Pharmacist ID or Provider ID, so mm-hmm. that aspect would help me and augment in my work. Similarly, in the cloud data engineering industry, what I'm seeing is they want to enable people with business knowledge. Uh, for example, somebody who is a clinical researcher, okay, mm-hmm. they want themselves to do a lot of stuff instead of going to a data scientist. Okay. For example, clinical trials, take a very simple example. If I want to do clinical trials, I want to have an inclusive population. I just don't want to do it on the majority of the population. I want to do it inclusively. So my drug is working on everybody. But how do I do that? How do I identify uh, 
who are those prospective people from all the different ethnicity, age group, gender to target. Yeah. So I would say domain knowledge is additionally helpful, but you don't need to think like that. That's okay. Good. So that's one step too far. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so how do you see, um, and to kind of follow, because one of the, the, the key things that we're always trying to establish with this podcast is to, to kind of help people understand a little bit around how data and, and uh, machine learning and all the new technology is changing the way that we live. Mm-hmm. And how do, my, my next question is, how do you see the role of the data engineer evolving? Mm-hmm. And especially if, if I were to be, let's say somebody I'm uh, uh, in, in university or school right now, and I have this aspiration to become the next uh, famous data engineer, what would be key focal points? Um, because uh, I fully agree with you. It's, it's not SQL only anymore. Yeah, that's a very, very good uh, question, actually. You know. that was when we, when we, or at least when I started learning, that was... Yeah. If you knew SQL, you were fine. frequently asked question, Jan. I would say this is a frequently asked question I get from a lot of schools yeah. that, you know, that how do they aim to become a data engineer? I just say them three things. Yeah. One is... What's you your need, Yeah. One is you need to know SQL and Python. Okay. The reason okay. is that is your base, you know, without mm-hmm. that. And why a reason I say Python and not Scala? Because Python is used everywhere and anywhere. Okay, you mm-hmm. Scala, I would use Scala mostly when I'm working on Spark. Okay, yeah. Scala has its own inherent advantage of being, you know, Spark was written on Scala. If you, if you don't know, I mean, if people don't yeah. know, Spark itself is written in Scala. Okay, so when I have to run something on Spark, I, if I use Scala, then it becomes more compatible and it runs faster. But when I have to work on an Airflow, okay, job or a Cloud Composer, it ends up with Python. If I have to do some quick scripting, it ends up with Python. So I always tell people that SQL and Python has to be good. Okay, there is no compromise on that. That's why if you see a lot of companies that interview in United States, I don't know about other job markets. The first thing that they try to check is how good this person is with SQL and Python. The reason being SQL, it has been for the last 20, 30 years. It will be there for the next 20, 30 years. There is no denying, okay? SQL is still your best friend for any data engineer, <laughs> data scientist, and data analytics guy, BI guy. To talk to anybody, they would be doing some SQL every day. That is number one. Yeah. Number two, like I said, Python, okay? Some people want to focus on other languages. They are good, but no matter how much you avoid, you will have to do Python coding, Okay. Now, second thing, most, like I said, cloud onwards, cloud upwards, you have to choose one cloud and you have to make it your expertise. I preferably go for GCP because GCP has come late into the game. So they are growing more. Okay. Um, There are many AWS consultants in the market, many Azure guys, but you will find very few GCP folks. Okay. And as the GCP market is growing, I tell people you should go for GCP, GCP and GCP. So that is one certification I recommend to them that you should go for any GCP certification, not just, you know, not just a data engineer. There are many other options if somebody wants to go for a DevOps. But as I expertise on data engineering, I tell them to go for GCP professional data engineer. Yeah. The third thing is you need to know Spark 2023, 2022 or any, you know, going forward, at least next five years, Spark is not going anywhere. Okay, Spark will yeah. be there all the majority of this 
huge terabytes, petabytes of data will be processed using Spark. You can have different flavors. You can have Databricks, you know, managed service. Yeah. You can have serverless GCP. You can have data proc. You can have many things. But eventually, majority of the companies who want to use big data, they have to use Spark. Now, yeah. for Spark, I recommend people doing the Databricks Spark certification, be it a Python or Scala, uh, depending on somebody's preference. If somebody is coming from a Java background, I recommend them to go for Scala. That's why it's mm -hmm. easier. Somebody who is very new, like I know people who have no programming background, still they want to become a data engineer. So what I recommend them is you go for the Databricks Python version. That way you learn some Python and you learn a lot of Spark. So if they yeah. have these three things, like I mentioned, SQL, Python, first step, second step, any public cloud, and the third thing is Databricks. I mean, not Databricks, Spark, but whenever in today's world, whenever I think of Spark, the first thing that comes to mind is Databricks. And um, with time, I think the way Databricks is growing and their services, uh, it will help, if not now, after two, three years. It's very excellent insights, Vital. I think because um, um, I ask this question a lot to all, all my guests and I, I really love how you're able to uh, very clearly give very directed advice on, you know, these are the three things you Because this is a very frequently asked question, Jan. <laughs> if you would have asked me this question two years back, I would have, you know, circled around multiple things. But now I even have a template ready when people ask me, just copy and paste it, okay? And... Uh, at least uh, I, I think it's 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 very very clear, and I'm also personally very happy to 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 see that the uh, the sequel that I learned all those years ago is still yeah, actually uh, even in my work today. Also, if I have to derive some insights, and sequel, I am more comfortable. You know, if if I know something sequel can't handle, if I need to, because sequel can't do a for loop for me. It's a fact. Yeah. If I have Correct. to repeat that stuff, I know that I have to choose a programming language. So. Yeah. I used to do a lot of shell scripting in my past jobs. Okay, those help me now because I, if I have to do something repeatedly, I can just use a wrapper on top of that. So yeah. one programming language, one SQL, one cloud, and one Spark. That's it. Very, very good. And domain knowledge, they will gain as anybody. For example, if I am into healthcare, I gain this knowledge by working in the industry. Yeah. And if some would you say uh, just uh, would you say that if you would have chosen let's say uh, telco or banking that you would now have the main knowledge around that? So, yes, so actually, that I grow? never chose any industry. You know, it was my luck that you know when I joined uh, Tata Consulting Services, I was in their healthcare vertical, so okay. I got to work with healthcare clients. So and I did work for Walmart and retail, but they they, they also had some healthcare component. But if you ask me. Uh, healthcare knowledge in US is a different asset itself. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, because you know, get to know about PBM industry. And if you see a lot of companies are getting into this business, Amazon, Walmart, JP Morgan Chase. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much if anybody wants to become a data engineer, domain knowledge will help, but you can't do much for it without working. Yeah. I think it's a very excellent piece of advice. So Bital, uh, last last question because we're slowly getting towards the end of our time. Mm -hmm. um, what excites you most about the future of uh, healthcare, data, and engineering? What what is the main thing that you're looking uh, forward to? Okay, so uh, it's a very broad, um, you know, very broad question. But I'll I'll ask you a counter question. 
So do you remember 2020-2021 when the COVID vaccine was developed? Did you ever think yeah. how fast they were able to develop this? Yes, so cloud, absolutely. It was a miracle, cloud right? Cloud computing had to play a major role, okay? When these behind the scenes, when they had to use the infrastructure, nobody went and bought a Hadoop cluster in their company. What they did, everything they did on cloud, okay? Beat any yeah. cloud. So what I see the future, more and more companies coming to cloud, Okay, because now we have proven results. We can identify patients, you know, who are more likely to convert from a diabetic to a kidney patient, okay? And that kidney patient, chronic kidney patient cannot be reversed. They cannot go back from dialysis to a normal life. Yeah. So the impact that we can make using cloud, I'm not saying, you know, cloud itself can do anything. As data engineers, data analysts, or, you know, uh, data scientists, the way we do our work with the help of cloud, being more agile, being more faster, will help us develop solutions which will reduce cost, increase accessibility. Like I mentioned, right, everything is now on mobile. Okay, even senior citizens who never used to call on phones, now they're on mobiles. Mm -hmm. And with the new solutions, the competition that has been created by Microsoft, uh, Azure, Google Cloud, and AWS, they're coming up with new services. That is what excites me the most. That if AWS is doing something today, I know GCP won't be behind. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I can use those skills and tools to have a positive impact on my patient. That's it. That's a, yeah, it's a very, um, I would say, beautiful end because it's completely in line with why we are hosting this podcast around, you know, learning around how data is changing the way we live. And kind of very um, uh, interested to see you say that through cloud, ultimately, it helps make patients' lives better. Absolutely. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Thanks so much, uh, Beetle, for uh, being part of this show and of Big Data Talks today. Um, I really loved listening to you. You're obviously very passionate around your work and very knowledgeable around all the different technologies that we talked about. Yeah. It also means that I would like to invite you for our next uh, virtual conference. So um, as you might have seen and might have uh, read, we host this two-day mm -hmm. event every year um it's it's still far away so it's going to be may next next year um but you're a, a very gifted speaker and i would love to learn more from you and to also see what you're doing so thank hope you so you will much Jan, i really appreciate you know uh, this is my first first time i'm talking with somebody else i i did a couple of um podcast on my own youtube channel but i never took it forward because that was meant to help somebody but I really enjoy talking to you and, you know, uh, sharing whatever I know. I, 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 like, I like to tell everybody I don't know much, but whatever I know, I try to share it with the community. So well, I can say that, you know, a whole lot and um, it's always yeah, so I've great. I've been very fortunate to, you know, work with a lot of best brains. So wherever I go, I'm the least smartest person. Very clear. Okay. <laughs> well, so even, that's true, even in this podcast, uh, I'm the least smartest guy. Okay. So I did learn from you the way you manage this podcast. I know I did learn and maybe in future I can use these skills. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And uh, I'm quite sure we'll be in touch. Sure. Thank you so much, Jan. Bye-bye.